Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Pop goes a switch. It integrates. Samsung goes high-end. Targets smart rubber ducky. Echo Star abandons Sage. And I look forward to what you can make happen at next year's South by Southwest. All on today's Smart Home Show with today's guest and friend of the show, Richard Guther. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Home Show. This is Mike Wolf, your host. It's been a while since I've podcasted, but now that my vacation is over, I've done some business travel. Hopefully I'm getting back on the podcast horse and getting some shows out with more regularity. Today's guest is Richard Gunther, who you probably know from the Home On podcast. The Home On podcast is part of the Technology.fm network, as well as part of the Digital Media Zone, which you find at the digitalmediazone.com. Richard is a longtime friend of the show a super smart guy, and we talk about a number of things that are happening in the smart home universe, including a new button from Logitech, EchoStar's quick abandonment of their smart home platform, and Samsung's move into the high-end appliance space. If you want to listen to more smart home shows, you can find them at technology.fm, as well as your usual podcast app. Of course, we've been busy here getting ready for our annual event, the Smart Kitchen Summit. We have some great guests that are coming to this event. I've been talking to a lot of them for the Smart Kitchen Show, which you could find at technology.fm or just go to smartkitchensummit.com backslash show. If you want to meet some of the speakers in person, like Charlie Kindle, who runs the smart home side of Alexa for Amazon, or Nathan Mirvold, the guy behind Modernist Cuisine, you can use a special discount code for podcast listeners, podcast at smartkitchensummit.com. I'd love to see you there. I'll buy you a beer. I'll buy you a coffee. Come on up to Seattle. All right, folks, that's it for now. Let's talk to Richard. Hey, well, Richard Gunther, welcome back to the show. It's been too long since you've been on my show, so I'm glad to have you back. Yeah, it's great to be on. You know, it's funny. I have been putting out a couple of shows and I've been really slow during the <laughs> uh, summertime and the news has been slow. But then all of a sudden in the last week or so, it seems like there's been this barrage of news. So I'm glad to join you. It popped. The news popped. And I think at oh. the top of it, <laughs> is that bad? Oh. Is that I bad? see what you did there. And that was just <laughs> painful. That was painful. I've been given my, my friend and co-host of the other podcast you around Smart Kitchen, Ashley, credit for her seg- her segue adeptness. And I, apparently mine is not very good because I use <laughs> poor jokes. But before we get into all that, I think I want to make sure everyone knows that you are Richard Gunther, host of the Home On podcast. And uh, we've talked, I've visited your show. I'm sure a lot of my listeners make their way over to your podcast because it's such a great show. But uh, I just want to make sure anything else I'm missing that people should know about before, before we get started? Yeah, I think we'll do a little bit of promo stuff at the end, but I host Home On, and I'm an editor at the Digital Media Zone. You know, the first topic we're talking about this this week is one I think we may we may part ways on because I've already kind of guessed you're not like, super excited about it. It was this <laughs> kind of a little bit out of left field announcement from Logitech. Uh, people who know the smart home and in particular know uh, remote controls know about Logitech. Um, they do the Harmony remote, and they've been adding slowly but surely adding smart home and connected home connectivity to it. This one came out of nowhere. It's the Pops Home Switch. It's this one-button switch system 
with a hub, it actually has a hub that allows you to do a single connection to whatever, a Sonos service, um, you you name it. They've integrated with, I think, a lot of the same things that the, that the Harmony Remote integrates with. And when I saw this, I thought, well, this is kind of cool, but I think you're not you're not so excited about it. Well, I love the idea of physical switches. I think analog controls are still really important. So the concept here is great. But I was muted, so you didn't hear me groan when you said the word hub. (laughs) It's just yet another hub that has to be plugged into your home to support this thing. And that makes me crazy. Now, you don't necessarily have to have... you know, a hub for every single system out there. And I can't understand why this could be built in a way that could work with Bluetooth and maybe a phone or device in the home, or, you know, maybe work with the Harmony hub without having to have this other hub already built, you know, in addition to that. It just, it seems crazy to me, but you're right. I love that it lets you control all of these things. Basically, as you said, pretty much anything that you can do and control through the Harmony Hub if you have a Harmony remote that uses the hub system. And those are pretty good. Those are very powerful. They connect to things that, you know, not a lot of other systems can even control. So this is going to give you access to smart things, Instian, Lifex, Wemo, Lutron stuff. This will control Hunter Douglas Shades. Nobody else controls Hunter Douglas Shades. <laughs> so it gives you a lot of capability Here's the kicker on this one for me. They're 40 bucks a piece. Yeah. And when you compare that to the much smaller and slimmer price of an Amazon Dash button, which is a little bit different approach, I'll give it that. But at the same time, I've been pining for uh, and written a few posts for about the Amazon Dash or anything. And I was excited a couple right. months ago when they had this developer Dash button with the that, that you could connect to. You can hack and, and connect to different things. I was excited yep. about that. I, that's what when I first saw this, I was hoping to see. Now, a couple of things. I think you're right about the hub. I, it, it just makes it a little bit of a heavier. If we could just do away with that, but I would imagine that would have taken a lot longer to bring the market. Um, and then the price point is a little bit high. I still like this idea of how many devices they integrate with and a simple button. So I, I, st- I could definitely see room for this in my house um, because it's it's obviously more of what I want, closer to what I've envisioned with this Amazon Dash button for anything, but with the heavier price point and an extra hub. Yeah. Now, the other issue that I have with it is that they've taken on the low-G contemporary Logitech design aesthetic, which <laughs> looks like they, just, It looks like they pumped it out of their 3D printer. Yeah, and, and, and I, market. between the colors and the form factor, this is something that is intended to fit nicely in a contemporary space. I don't know how well it's going to look in a traditional space. I'm a big fan of the Flick button. Yeah. Much, much smaller, works without a hub. It's a little bit cheaper, not significantly cheaper, but basically a lot of these capabilities with without all of the extra. Yeah, the the flick button I think obviously looks more like a button. It's smaller. I, I I agree with you. I like the looks of that. I was actually excited. I don't know if you remember when Pebble came out with their smartwatch two. It's st- it, it just went through the Kickstarter campaign, and they offered uh, essentially their own button that allows you to to access and control things like Spotify. So I backed that campaign because I needed to upgrade my smartwatch. But that was kind of like my the mobile button that would integrate through 
through an API to these third-party services, maybe something like turning on an alert. It could integrate conceivably with your smart home. I just like these ideas. I'm very much on board with, like you, the physical button, single-service single, single service type of button that you can use for various types of things. I really like that concept. Uh, yep. and, I, and so the, the Pebble is exciting. I like the look of the flick. And I like what they're onto with Logitech. But with Logitech, oftentimes, you know, it takes them a little while I think to flesh it out and ho- hopefully along the way they don't abandon it. I-, I still have a bad taste in my mouth from the Google T or yeah, the Google TV experience <laughs> where they basically <laughs> abandoned it, fired their CEO and moved on. <laughs> that-, that was an epic disaster. So I- I'm always hoping they don't do something like that. I don't feel like that's the scale of, of, of thing, but uh, no. And that was more a Google issue than a Logitech issue. That platform was just, that was not a good platform. <laughs> it was not. Here's the here's the next piece of news that we were talking about before the show. It's it's an interesting one. IFTTT IFT announced that they've done direct app integration. Uh, there's a piece on Forbes. Aaron Tilly wrote about it. And what what the news is, and I think you could probably better articulate this, is instead of having to go through the IFT app to create a recipe, they're allowing device makers with an app to bring the IFT instruction engine essentially into the, the app itself. So you can, if you're August, you want to integrate with. Uh, you name it, the, the lighting service or whatever, uh, with Hue or whatever, you can you can do that through the if logic and instruction engine that's been brought into your app. So I think I think that's a big move. I think it's, it's good news for them. Still, like you said, I think you said, how did they going to make money over this? We don't know, but I think it's it's a good move. How do they make money on anything, frankly? But I, I really like what they're doing here in terms of getting people to think about integration from the place that you want to integrate instead of having to go somewhere else to do it. I think that's a huge deal for them. And the approach that they've taken initially is the integration affords the app developer an opportunity to recommend a kind of best hits list of the most useful or the most used recipes that exist for their device. And then you can just toggle it on And if you still need to sign up or sign in or tweak it, then you can jump over to the if app from there. So it's pretty clever. The one thing that I don't like about it, and this is my general complaint with if in general, is the whole if design approach of everything being jihugic just makes me (laughs) crazy. Like each option that you can pick from is nearly an entire screen size and you're scrolling through those on your phone. So <laughs> I hope they really think and change that a little bit at some point in time because it's ridiculous. What was the term? Jihugic. Jihugic. <laughs> is that a coin term from Richard? <laughs> I like that. I don't know. I like but I'm going I'm I'm to use that. I think it's perfect here. Yeah, but I think the fact that they're establishing themselves not just as a standalone app but as maybe – almost a white label service that can essentially allow devices to connect. Are they creeping closer to competing with the home kits of the world? I mean, it seems like in a sense, if if it becomes the logic engine, the connection engine that's built in, um, are they competing? Not until they add more T's. I mean, this is the thing that kills me. And I think about this all the time when I'm trying to do something. And when I want to do multiple things, from IFTTT, and I have to create basically the same recipe multiple times, each with a different action, because I can't tell it that when this happens, do these things as opposed to this one thing. That bugs me too. Why is it that they haven't added a couple extra teases? It seems like that's the main complaint about it. And all of us who complain about the free services that we love, shame on us. 
But like, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, but, but I think it would be so powerful. There's so much potential right. there if they added just the ability to add on more instructions. Yeah. Yeah. And I know they're trying to keep it simple, but it's, it's the thing that keeps it from being really useful in so many use cases. So let's move on to the next story. This is a, something that I'd, I had happened upon uh, on the interweb. There is a site that a retailer that is actually showing the, do you remember the LG smart security camera? That uh, I do remember that. We saw that at CES this year. Yes. This, this device that I think they were talking about shipping a, a long time ago. Um, yeah, but that was a CES date. That was a CES date. But it actually showed up on B&H, which is a, a pretty large photography website, which is kind of a weird retailer for to show up on. But I wasn't sure if this thing was dead. It's It was really uh, – what was interesting about this product, and the, the official name is the LG Smart Security Hub, was it involved a couple of different companies. It was the first device to use the ADT Canopy service. And if you remember what that service is, it was essentially ADT saying, hey, we're going to create security as a service and allow people to – people to use it to create consumer facing devices and make DIY type of devices potentially, uh, and not necessarily have to do our heavy installed service with a, an installer and a two year contract, which was a big deal for ADT from a business model perspective. Now everything's been thrown up there since I think since ADT got acquired, I haven't heard a lot about canopy. So I don't know if they're backing away from this. Um, but the fact that this product may actually make it to market could be a miracle. LG obviously is the manufacturer. And I think Zonoff was also a company behind this, although they didn't publicize it a lot. This has been something that I've read a little bit about and, and Julie Jacobson as, as well have heard from people. And what I like about this is that this is also a hub. Whether it's Zonoff or whatever other technology in there, there's a Z-Wave and Zigbee hub, hub built into this thing. So in addition to being a one-piece security camera and other type of device in your home, like a canary or other device that you can buy over the counter, it also supports the more traditional and vast array of smart devices that are available that support Zigbee and Z-Wave. Yeah, it's pretty rare to get a new DIY type of device now um, that has both of those radio interfaces in there and, then and connects to all these different traditional home security services. So I, I like that as well. I also like the power of using ADT's home monitoring service. Um, you know, I, I like this idea of taking DIY services, DIY devices, and connecting it to powerful established services like that. So I think that's interesting. Hopefully this thing makes it to market. It's kind of sitting in limbo on this site. We'll put it in the show notes. It says, coming soon. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> that means. Time not available. <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, so we'll keep people updated on that. You know, you're coming out to the Smart Kitchen Summit. It's an area I've been following pretty closely. And there's a, a couple companies in the space, particularly in the big uh, big appliance space, that actually came together this week. It was kind of a weird marriage when I first saw it. Samsung announced that they're buying Decor, and that was kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, first, for a couple reasons. First of all, Samsung... Whenever they make an acquisition, I think it's an interesting thing because it kind of signifies what they're thinking. Uh, and they're a big company. You have to watch what they're doing. But they have decided to buy their way into the ultra-premium appliance category. Decor is way up there at the top I mean, in terms of premium appliances. You, right. can't, you can't buy like an oven for less than five, five or six grand from them. And Decor kind of holds a special place in my heart for, because they're one of the last remaining family-owned 
appliance makers out there. I don't know if you know this, but they were actually owned by uh, the J- the Joseph company. We had Steve Joseph out at our event, the summit last year. He was the third generation Scion. Uh, he's no longer with the company, actually. <laughs> I don't know if this has hmm. anything to do with it, but uh, this was this company was founded back in 1951, and uh, the, the Steve's dad is the chairman, Michael Joseph. So it's still in the family. And so I, I was a little bit saddened by that the acquisition in that respect, but I still think it's an interesting move for Samsung. It is. I think that this is actually a good pairing for them. Now, you mentioned earlier today that it's interesting that they're going to keep the Decor brand. And I think that's really important for Samsung to do because people who buy minimum $5,000 ovens are not going to buy their oven if it has a Samsung label <laughs> on it. I agree. And it takes this. That was a great point that you made. And it takes years to build that kind of trust. You can't just go into those types of channels and at those price points and say, you know, this is a Samsung. It's like trying to sell a Hyundai saying this is the premium Hyundai. You just right. you can't do that to Mercedes buyer. So right. No, mer- exactly. GE, Kenmore, they're all still trying to do this and and failing or succeeding in various ways. So I think it's very smart to keep this. This is a very well-respected brand. It's also, in many ways, one of the more contemporary and technologically advanced brands in terms of premium kitchen appliances. So I'm excited to see what they might come up with together. I agree to a certain extent. I feel like the decor folks were innovative and a little bit out in front of everyone when they tried to do smart ovens. When you peel back the onion, uh, the layers of the onions a bit, it is still basically an Android touchscreen that they built into their ovens. And they don't, they don't look like they've really updated it much. Well, uh, what do you think Samsung's doing with their televisions? I feel like Samsung still doesn't have a cohesive connected kitchen strategy. I think that when you look at the kitchen, what Whirlpool did with their deal within it, I don't know if you followed that or not, but a lot of the, the interesting stuff around connected appliances is going to be happening what's inside the oven and what's inside versus like just connectivity. Right. And so I think Samsung really hasn't articulated that. I think they're probably going to do that over the next year. We'll probably hear a lot at CES. I think Decor will probably could follow their lead a little bit. It makes sense to have some little level of integration, even on the high end and, and the, the Samsung brand between them. Because I think scale matters when you talk about nascent platforms. But yeah, it, it was an interesting move. I, I totally agree with you in terms of like it, it makes sense. Decor staying as a premium brand and the high end, it has trust. Uh, the only sadness I have is the fact that now it's part of a larger company. But yeah, that happens. I totally understand. Probably totally con- understand. congratulations to the Joseph family, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have one request to Samsung please don't put a smart things hub in this thing. <laughs> Oh, I have a, I have a feeling they won't do that. Maybe they'll move it to the decor embedded touchscreen to Tizen though. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll see the decor app for the Android Wear or whatever. I, I don't even know what is. Are they still doing the gear watches? I don't honestly know. I thought I heard something about them stepping back from the gear watch, but I, I don't. Know I feel like I everyone's that. probably pulling back a little bit from wearables. I don't think it was quite the riches they all intended. But we'll see. This last piece of news, I think you're going to have a lot of opinions on because uh, you, you think a lot about retail as I do when it comes to IoT, smart home, connected home. I don't know if you saw this. Target is adding a baby, connected baby section to 450 stores. What do you think about the connected smart ducky baby light? <laughs> I don't know about this uh, specific device <laughs> necessarily. 
But I like what they're doing. I like the target is trying things. You know, one of the things that I've been so frustrated about in retail is that it seems like companies are just trying to sell smart products the same way that they've sold everything else in the portable electronics space with a plastic mock-up that you look at and supposedly that gives you enough information to buy it. And it doesn't. And if they apply to this the same approach where you get an ability to see how these things work and maybe even play with it live with a, a real product, then I think this is interesting and I want to see where they take it. Now, all of the cool stuff that Target is doing with open house and with these types of events, it still isn't making its way into stores. You go to any Target store and you look for smart home products and they're scattered all over the place. The shelves are half empty and there is no cohesive message. So they really need to, at some point, figure out how they roll this out to the stores in a way that's compelling. Julie Jacobson did a story, I think, in June about how they were kind of almost pulling it back from the, the smart home concept in at least their Minnesota store and just doing very simple connected devices and using uh, – weren't really kind of pointing towards home automation as the centerpiece of the connectivity, but just more uh, connected device. And I really do think – we've talked about this before, and I've, I've written about how point devices are really where the success has been so far, these simple devices, whether it's like a – it's a it's like a ring doorbell or some other device that is very simple right. to understand. That's where the the kind of the volume has been. Target, I don't know if you also saw, is rolling out across eighteen hundred stores uh, the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth sous vide makers from Innova. So they're kind of investing more in those connected kitchen categories. So it makes you wonder if they're just kind of diving deep on these specific very very specific use cases rather than trying to weave an entire cohesive story around them. Yeah, and that might be the smarter way to do it. I know that. You know, you and I have both spoken with the folks at Belkin, and they're taking that approach with Wemo now, where they're really thinking about individual use cases and how individual products can solve specific problems instead of trying to get you to buy into an ecosystem. And it's smart. Again, though, I want to see the, at least within a brand of stores like Target or like Best Buy or whatever. I want to see a consistent approach instead of the haphazard way that it seems to be merchandised and promoted and positioned from location to location. You can contrast what you know what's happening at retail with something like what Vivid is doing because they seem like they're actually succeeding in selling the broader vision of a smart home, but it's a completely different approach, right? It's the managed concierge handheld smart home brought to you by Vivint. And, you know, they're different than any, I think, any other service provider, which most of them have led with security. Most of the cable guys have led with, okay, whether it's Xfinity security or, or whatever, they, they because they felt that was more sellable, Vivid has made no bones about it. They've led with smart home and kind of this connected living lifestyle, and they're actually doing pretty well at it. So it's it, it's... It seems like it's a hard sell at retail. You almost wonder if you need like a service provider to kind of sell the entire deal. That's possible. I also think we're going to see a difference in supply versus demand ratios once Google Home and HomeKit yeah. are available to consumers because that's going to drive interest that right now just isn't there for the every person. Yeah, those those are the the platforms that could ultimately make this more palatable and, and allow consumers and retailers hopefully to sell this fuller vision without the 
the handholding of like a $50 a month service provider. Cause that's kind of what you need today for a mass market to make it really work. Yep. Well, speaking of service providers, this was an interesting story. Dish has actually dropped the Sage platform, the smart home platform, Echo Star Dish. I always kind of merge them together. Echo Star is the <laughs> hardware maker. Echo. Echo Star, yeah. Echo Star is the hardware maker. Dish is the service provider, and they're still somewhat related. Um, but were you surprised by this news? I was surprised by this, but if I think about it, I, I get it. So I heard about this through Mary Silby over at Multichannel News, and she basically got it from the uh, uh, investors call. And they announced on the investors call that they were going to drop this line completely. And I think they're actually handing it off. I think they're handing it off to someone that'll take it on, kind of like what we saw with Staples Connect. It's an interesting ecosystem they built up, but it seemed like something they spent a lot of money putting together. I mean, years working on this thing. It first went live on a very limited basis in March, didn't really have broad exposure until May. And then what is it now? August? Dead. <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. So the decision was made, you know, maybe within a three months of the the fact it was actually in the field for very long. It's really- and did you even know that it was in the field? That's the other thing. No, like, it, I didn't even know it had been released. It was yet. one of those things in my mind, like, you know, I should probably contact them, see how it's going. <laughs> and I hear that they just shut it right. all down. Yeah, exactly. I do hope that if it's getting picked up by another company to continue on in one fashion or another, that they think about some of the innovative stuff that they did there. I don't know if you've had a chance to talk with them about this ecosystem at all, but you know, it's it's Zigbee based and they were creating some some interesting new accessories that otherwise didn't really exist, like something you could put in your doorbell to be able to take an existing doorbell and trigger an action off of the fact that the doorbell rang. How cool is that? that? I mean, yeah, they were really thinking through stuff. They were tying it into the TV and, and trying to have it be, you know, integrated so that if the doorbell rang, then you might be able to turn on a camera and the television would show you the camera and you may be a, so, you know, they thought through it well, but uh, yeah, this is a surprise and it kind of falls in opposition to what we see happening elsewhere where service providers are actively trying to roll this stuff out. Yeah. Certainly Comcast and Vivint are investing more in this. It's interesting because I think I feel like EchoStar has had a history of supporting interesting hardware and then kind of the combined company of EchoStar and Dish. I mean, they were the company that acquired Sling back in the day, right. um, which you know I was a big fan of. Um, and then obviously with their their Hopper products, they were really kind of one of the companies that were pushing really aggressively on on DVR time time shifting uh, yep. within. A, a service provider set top, probably way more than the cable guys. So it's interesting that they didn't give us that much of a chance. Either way, that, that was kind of a head scratcher. Yeah, it definitely is. So I am going to do a little bit more research on this because I want to find out if somebody is in fact going to run with this or if this is just kind of dead man walking kind of thing. Well, I think the last segment should be talking about us, Richard, and what, what <laughs> we're doing at South by Southwest potentially and what our listeners should do for us. If they like us, um, if they want to see us at South by Southwest, they should go to the panel picker page and vote for us. Yeah, we both have some panels out there. I have 
a panel where you're one of the proposed speakers, and that is a panel speaking of connected appliances about some of the things that manufacturers and consumers alike need to be thinking about if they're building consumer-grade products that depend on cloud services. What if you can't sustain the service anymore? What if you as a company go away? So there are things that I think manufacturers are just blind to because they're, you know, nobody wants to think about the fact that they might go away and nobody is really thinking beyond the next couple of years. And does it really make sense to put technology that likely is going to last three to five years into a 15 year uh, type of product like a refrigerator or whatever else? So I think it's going to be a really good discussion. It's you, Chris Allen from iDevices. He was actually just on my show, Home On, recently. And Rich Brown from CNET. And you and I both know Rich, and Rich actually covers appliances and connected technology for CNET. So I think this is going to be a really interesting panel. And the way that this works is that we're in the community voting period right now. So if this sounds interesting to people, then we need you to go out to panelpicker.southbysouthwest.com, search for my name or search for Mike's name. And you'll find this session. This is this one is called Don't Brick My Fridge <laughs> and give it a thumbs up. Now, I'm also on another session called Meet the Smart Home, What the Jetsons Got Wrong. And that's with <laughs> I love, Adam I love Justice. It. I love it. From now, did Adam come up with Grid that name? Connect. Yes. Yes. So I'm really looking forward to that. That too, you can vote for if that sounds interesting to you. And Mike, you're on one or two additional panels too, right? Yeah. So I'm really excited about participating in the panel with you. Uh, there's also uh, a friend of mine, Brian Frank, who you may have met at the summit. He, yep. uh, he's a good guy. He's more connected in the food tech space than anyone out there. I, I, I'd put that, I'd put that bet out there and I'd put money on that. He wanted to do a panel on called the Smart Kitchen Cooking Better with Technology. And so it's myself. Uh, Brian and Alan Hahn, who created the Connected Tea Maker, you may have heard of Tephoria. So that could be a fun one. And I'm also, uh, I think, on a panel proposed. I am on a panel proposed by the Bluetooth SIG, talking a little bit about Bluetooth smart home. So th there's a lot of options. I'm, I'm figure if I put enough bets out there, I'll make it to South by. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so, because it's always good seeing you there. And I've been going every year. You've had a couple events there, and you've been on panels or lead panels in the past, so I enjoy seeing you. Yeah, it's always fun to go down Austin in March. It's a crazy time of year, uh, and it, it's always right back-to-back -back with other events like the Housewares Show, which I'll be going to this year. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, this has been a great podcast. I always enjoy you coming on. I say this every time. You're you're like a great podcaster. Uh, you're way You're way more professional than I am. So, uh, <laughs> and I always like to embarrass you when I say that, but it's true. <laughs> so thanks for coming on. Well, I appreciate you. it. Absolutely. They, this has been a blast. They could find you before we go though. People could find you at digitalmediazone.com and where they could find you on as well on Twitter, right? What's your Twitter handle? Twitter is easy. It is just Richard Gunther. The DMC is a little bit harder. It's actually thedigitalmediazone.com. I know that's a mouthful. I can't tell you how many times we've tried to get the DMZ, but not surprisingly, that's already taken. <laughs> All right. Check out Richard's podcast. If you haven't already, it's great. And uh, check out my podcast. You already listened to it. Subscribe to it. And uh, Richard, you have a great weekend. Thanks. You too, Mike. I always love having Richard on the show. 
He's super smart and just an overall great guy. So I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did. Once again, you can find Richard's show at the digitalmediazone.com or check him out at technology.fm. That's it for now, folks. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>